The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, one of the featured speakers at uh, our convention, our diocesan convention, was the Reverend Carol Anderson, the rector of All Saints Church in Beverly Hills, California. I was very interested in hearing her speak because her church is known really throughout the Episcopal Church as one of those lively places where things are really happening. And it has experienced a significant amount of growth over a number of years. It's been sort of constant growth, not wild growth at the beginning and sort of stalling out, but constant growth. It's a lively place where the gospel is preached and where lives truly are transformed. I was interested in hearing her speak because we had had other speakers at our conventions who had uh, come from lively churches, but in very different settings from the kind of setting that we know here in Concord. We had had a speaker, for example, from Chicago who had revitalized a neighborhood church that was really on its way to extinction. But what she described was so different from the kind of situation we found ourselves in here in Concord. I had trouble connecting that in a real way for us. So I look forward to hearing Carol speak because even though I know there are great differences between Beverly Hills, California and Concord, Massachusetts, there are some similarities. And it's a bit of a stretch, I think, of the definition to say that we are both suburban churches. It may be better to say we're neither urban nor rural, but we minister among people who find themselves uh, in a sort of suburban setting. Well, as Carol talked about the experience at All Saints, one of the things she said was that she had interviewed a a number of the new uh, members and had asked them what it was that had drawn them to All Saints. And she said that over and over again, people would tell a story about their own lives and about how someone from All Saints had been present with them and allowed them to open up themselves to this person from All Saints and at the same time finding this person from All Saints sharing their life with them and even a glimpse of their faith life and how important their community at All Saints had been for them. She said this was a common theme, this idea of people sharing lives and out of that coming a real sense that in some way Christ was present in that moment to that stranger and it made all the difference in the world. I think that that is what this gospel lesson is about. And I believe that it is truly at the heart of what it is that we should be about. It seems to me that if if you hear nothing else this morning than that, is that it is important for us as individual Christians of members of Trinity Church 
that when we are with others, we realize that we are Christ present to the other. And I believe it will make all the difference in the world. This gospel lesson is very short and in places quite mysterious, a little difficult to understand. So I'm going to do something I don't usually do and try to go through it uh, verse by verse. There are only three verses, so it won't take us too long. The, the first thing that I think we should keep in mind is that there really are two things contextually that are important to these verses. The first is the uh, principle that is so important in the Middle East even today, and that is the, this idea of hospitality. There is nothing perhaps more important in uh, Turkey or in any part of the Middle East, in Israel, than offering hospitality, especially to someone who's in need. If someone presents themselves themselves at your door and they need a cup of water, you give them a cup of water. That's just understood. And perhaps some of that comes from uh, living in an area that's very difficult, uh, with desert and people who find themselves in very difficult straits. So that's the first thing, the importance of hospitality. The second thing is the difference between the way people living in the Mediterranean, even today, but especially in the first century, understood themselves versus the way we understand ourselves. And I think this distinction can uh, trip us up as we try to read, especially the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament scriptures. We think of ourselves as individuals. And often you'll hear preaching that really sounds like all of this Christianity stuff is about Jesus and me. It's all about Jesus and me. It doesn't seem to include much about community or about who I am as a person that goes beyond just self. And we live our lives that way in many cases. But for people living in the first century Mediterranean societies, there was no sense of that individualism. Rather, they operated out of a sense of duatic understanding of personality. And rather than uh, going into the details of that, a, a, a sketch of what it means is that your identity was formed by the family you lived in, the extended family, by the group that you came out of, perhaps a tribal group, perhaps a community, a town, by your occupation. All of that contributed to your identity. So that when two individuals met, it was not just the meeting of John and James, but rather it was the meeting of all the groups that they represented coming together. I think it's important to hold these two things in mind as we consider these three verses from Matthew. Hospitality and a different understanding of who individuals were. Now, going to that first verse, Jesus begins by saying, The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. This goes back to that understanding of personhood. In other words, he's saying that those who go out from him really are him. Those who go out from, if we might say, his family, this family he has gathered around him, this group of disciples, as they go out, they are going out as though Christ himself was going out. Therefore, anyone who welcomes them is welcoming him and also the one who sent him. So that's the first, that first verse, this understanding of agency that is, goes beyond anything that perhaps we understand. But we do see it in a couple of other places. 
I know a number of you are familiar with uh, the uh, Didache. Uh, it's also translated the Teaching of the Twelve, written around the late, uh, mid to late first century, early second century, they believe, and contains many teachings for the early church. And one of the uh, verses in that says, every apostle who comes to you should be welcomed as you would welcome the Lord. And those of you who have studied Benedictine spirituality, and especially the rule of Benedict, know that there's a place in the rule that says that the, uh, the monk who receives a visitor should fall down on his face and welcome that visitor as Christ present to them. There is this sense that when we welcome another, we are welcoming Christ. But especially when, we are, when someone welcomes one coming out on behalf of Christ, they are welcoming Christ. This is very important, I think, in terms of how we understand our lives as Christians. We're not out there as ourselves. And this doesn't have to do with whether you're ordained or not ordained. This is about Christians. And the thing that is fascinating to me is that our baptism allows us to go out as Christ among others. That is what we're called to as Christians. The next verse, I think, is probably the most mysterious. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of, a, of the righteous. I think it, it helps to understand, this is at least one interpretation of this verse, helps to understand that Matthew had perhaps two categories that he's talking about here that were very specific to his understanding and the community that he was writing to. There were those who were understood to be prophets, had a special gift of proclaiming the word in a way that motivated people to be able to go beyond what they ever thought they could do and to bring about transformational change. We're blessed, I think, in this diocese to have a number of prophets and that's been a tradition in the Diocese of Massachusetts. People who are willing to proclaim and to live into those proclamations. The other category he talks about are the righteous. And one way of understanding this is that the righteous were those who had come under persecution, but had gone through that persecution and had never abandoned their faith. Those we understand as being referred to as the righteous ones. So he talks about those two groups specifically in this text. And it's interesting that the reward of the prophets, mostly we read about as being persecution and death. The reward of the righteous being uh, eternal life uh, with God. So we have in that verse, perhaps for those who are hearing it, this idea that there are two rewards and that the Christian life, in a sense, involves both. And perhaps we can't get away from that. Perhaps as Christians, we must know that we can't have just the joy of Easter morning without also having gone through the difficulties of Holy Week and Good Friday. We must also understand that part of the Christian life is is being able to go through the struggles as the righteous had gone through those persecutions and not giving up the faith. Well, what is the reward? that these people who welcome the prophets and the righteous one, what is that reward for them? I believe that this scripture points to the fact that the reward is the presence of the one who is the prophet, who proclaims the word in a way that others can't, and the righteous one who has proclaimed the word, in a sense, in their deeds 
The reward is being in their presence, to be present with them. And once again, it is Christ present with the other. The third verse is a little easier, but perhaps gets a little too close to home in some ways. Whoever gives even a cup of of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. It's very interesting that uh, throughout most of Matthew, when uh, we hear about the disciples, they're being taught how they should be uh, treating others and how they should be offering hospitality to others, uh, reaching out to those who were marginalized and in need. But in this case, it's just the opposite. It's someone offering hospitality to the disciple and specifically even to these little ones, the new disciples, the new Christians. And it seems to me that what he's saying here is those of you who are new disciples, who are new to the faith, need to learn how to accept hospitality. You need to learn how to accept what someone offers to you. Now, I would guess that you are probably a lot like me. When I am dealing with difficult things, I try to deal with them myself. I want to be self-sufficient and I really don't want the meddling of other people. Even when I'm sick, someone will say, we're going to bring by something for you to eat. No, please don't. That's fine. We're okay. We're so quick to say no when that hospitality is offered. I recall a time when I was serving a congregation in South Dakota. I had just arrived and I heard a lot of conversation about the need for an elevator at the church because the present handicapped access was not adequate. And I was uh, really didn't like hearing about that because I didn't want to get into some sort of building project. The last thing in the world I wanted to do. I might add it still is. (laughs) But sometimes it's necessary. So uh, after I settled in, a woman came to me and said, I want to tell you about what I have experienced and my husband, what my husband experienced at this church. She said uh, he had had been suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease, and as that disease progressed, he still wanted to get to church. And finally, they had to resort to carrying him up the steps into the church. She said the humiliation for me and for him to have to be carried into the church was just too much, finally, and he stopped coming. This is a man who was respected throughout the state. He had been Speaker of the House for many years. And yet he he found it just absolutely impossible to come to this point. She said, we need an elevator. So we started talking with other people. And finally, as the project started to uh, gain some momentum, we had a a parish meeting. And I remember that night we came together. I was quite nervous about it. The people were like people are here, very outspoken and with strong opinions. And people on both sides offered their thoughts. And finally, this one woman stood up who I also knew to be a very strong advocate for her position. And she was someone who uh, suffered from chronic fatigue syndrome. And I knew from time to time it was very hard for her to uh, use the steps coming into the church or going down to the undercroft. She stood up and she said essentially this. Many of you are expecting me to speak in favor of the elevator. But she said, I'm not. I'm going to speak against it. And she said essentially these words, and as best I could remember them. She said, what's wrong with allowing oneself to be carried to the undercroft or into the church? Isn't that what we're supposed to do for one another as Christians? 
To not accept that kind of care from another denies the other the opportunity to offer help. And then she sat down and it was quiet. And then soon we got back into the discussion. And so you're not wondering, we did go ahead with the project. But we went ahead realizing that there was that aspect of ourselves that we really were not able to deal with. That aspect of being able to accept the help offered by another. I think that's one of the hardest things for us to do in this life. But the reality is that hospitality goes two ways. Hospitality is offered, but it's not complete until it is received. Well, I hope that uh, I haven't bored you too much with that exposition of those three verses. But I think those three verses are very important to our understanding of our faith. And from those three, I get two things that I think are, are our principal calling. First of all, and perhaps the most important, is that as Christians, our task is really very simple. We are called to be, to be present with another, to be present as Christ with the other. That's it. That is the Christian life, to be Christ present with the other. And the second thing, I think, is for us to grow deeper in our understanding of hospitality. What it is not only to offer, but also to receive so that hospitality can be complete. May God give us the will to live into our calling. And may God bless us as we attempt to do that day in and day out. Amen. Amen.